Hello and welcome back to Customer Marketing Catch-Up. Today we're joined by Jenny Osaba, Head of Community at Jamf, and we're discussing how to leverage communities to build relationships with your customers and how these processes can potentially be scaled. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Influtive, the world's number one customer marketing and advocacy platform designed to supercharge customer engagement and deliver social proof at scale. From referrals and references to reviews and video testimonials, Influtive does it all. Close more deals, all with a customer-first approach through Influtive. Hello, and welcome back to Customer Marketing Catch-Ups. I'm Will, filling in for Eve today, and I'm joined by Jenny Saba and our co-host, Ari Hoffman. And we're going to be talking about building relationships with the potential to scale and how to tie people to your community as well as part of those relationships, which is a very, very important topic right now. I'm seeing a lot of conversations online around community building, how it's going to be incredibly important moving forward, particularly in this world of AI that we're all living in. So very excited to have this conversation with the two of you. Um, Jenny, um, thank you for joining us today. I'm sure you're the absolute expert on this, but maybe you want to introduce yourselves to the audience a little bit. Tell us a bit about your background and why this topic was so important to talk about today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Will and Ari. It's always good to see you. And it's really great to talk about anything community related. When this was brought up, I was just thrilled because it's a passion area of mine, and I'm really excited to see the area of community grow in the future. Um, a little personal about me, I'm a slightly exhausted mom of three boys and a wife of nearly 17 years, so I am a little bit older than I look, as I'm told. Um, I love pretty much every baked good I've encountered. I have a real fear of crocodiles, and I am a Wisconsin-born Packer fan, which I realize can be controversial. On the professional side of the house, I oversee community at a technology company based out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And under my umbrella is a customer advocacy program, a partner advocacy program, and then a large public support community. And like so many of us in this field, my background has taken a lot of twists and turns. It actually started in my younger years as a newspaper reporter. That led me into copywriting, which led me into customer advocacy, and ultimately to where I am now overseeing community. Excellent, excellent. So definitely, definitely going to have a lot of insights on this topic today. Very much looking forward to that. Um, so let's start off with sort of like building some foundations, shall we? Um, when we talk about relationships with a customer, the, the phrase that's often used is engagement. And engagement is sort of this catch-all term, I feel, because it, it can mean very different things in terms of where they are in sort of the type of customer they are, the type of industry they have, the type of personality they have, even where they are in the funnel, it can mean very different things. So how do you actually go about understanding what engagement means in order to build the kind of processes, the kind of the kind of experiences that you want customers to have at this kind of level? Yeah, I love this question because it gets at the heart of what we should all focus on when we begin our journey as community managers and starting to build a community and that's relationship building. So no community should start being built and then as it continues to grow and we focus on engagement without having a really good understanding of who your folks are in the community and why they even wanted to come in. And those answers are going to be different for every single person who comes to your community, because we all know everybody has different wants, needs, they have different ways they want to engage. So that is something that I think we really need to keep in mind is how do we address all of these different ways to provide success to our community members 
um, knowing that they're not all kind of in that same bucket and engagement looks different to each of them. So as an example here, I think of myself, I can be seen more of as an extrovert. I have a team member who is a self-proclaimed introvert. Neither one of us are going to be better at community building because of how we engage with customers. It's really that mixture of having folks to engage in different ways that make sure that all people are feeling included. So that also goes back to why our job is so incredibly in difficult because we have a product that is people, people change, people have different wants, needs, and they have different ways to engage. So keeping that mixture in the back of our minds all the time uh, is incredibly important. And it's also one of the biggest challenges we have. Ari, how do you feel about that? Like, what do you think about different levels of engagement? How do you look into that in your role in Influitive? I think, you know, for the customer marketers and advocacy professionals and community members and community leaders who are listening to this, you know, the key is not thinking there's some end destination you're going to reach. There is no finish line where you're like, we've solved the community, right? It, it literally, because people transform, our feelings transform. As we get more educated, as we grow with our subject matter expertise, our needs change. Right, we go from wanting to be in in all sessions to being to wanting to be in hyper focused sessions. We go from wanting to be in ones where it's all about the product sometimes and learning and upskilling to I want to learn more about strategy as I become more of a leader myself and I want to be connected with other leaders right to grow my sphere of influence right. And so what Jenny's hitting on here is so vitally important, which is this is a constantly evolving process. And, and knowing that is knowing how dynamic and diverse your community is. And everyone has their own motivators. Can you solve for every motivator? Is that realistic? No. But can you not, can you avoid the one-stop shop, right? And then, and then question why you have engagement problems, right? <laughs> So yes. that, I would say that Jenny is spot on. And and honestly, for everyone who's listening, nobody knows how to do this better than Jenny. She really is a pioneer and a lover of the field. She's a consummate, you know, um, she is so interested in this topic. She's always looking to learn more and understand more. And she's got really strong opinions. Of, and I'll be real. <laughs> back and forth on them all the time and so it's really wonderful <laughs> as a sounding board right yeah we have not agreed on everything this is a good point Ari but uh I really appreciate that and I thought of a couple of things too that are kind of the ground rules if you will and when people come to me and they're like okay I want to start a community how do I do that how do I get good engagement and I always tell them a couple of a couple of things to start with number one you have to be authentic you have to be yourself don't try to put on some sort of a mask or some sort of a persona that you think your customers want from you because that's not sustainable. And also nobody likes a fake person, right? That's just the reality. So you have to build relationships by being who you are. And again, listening, paying attention to those who are coming to your community, understanding what they want from you. Um, and then always putting them at the center. And this is something that not every organization, we know, we've talked about this, Ari, not every organization wants to hear, well, I have to put my cu customer at the center and truly mean it. 
Uh, a lot of companies, I think, say that, but to, to truly mean it means that you're actively listening to them all the time and you're saying, what can I do for you, my customer, to help you be successful? And if you do that, you are going to build a community that your customers feel heard, they feel respected, and they want to come back time and time again because they know that you have their best interest at heart. And that is how you begin to grow a really successful community. Awesome. Uh can, can I ask, a, can I throw a, a, a curveball in here, a question for you, Jenny? Because I think if I were listening to this, I'd say, okay, that's great. But how do I, how do I find out what, what matters to people when I'm already so busy, I'm juggling mm -hmm. 12 other things. And as you've mentioned, the company says we want to be customer centric, but they're really like, it's, it's a great <laughs> talking point, but underneath it's business first always. Um, how do I align those two when I don't have the bandwidth? How do I find out? Like, what are from some? How do you find out from customers specifically what they're looking for? Yeah, like, what? Yeah. How do you spell that? Like, yeah, there there are a few different ways you can do it, and I think you should never again, like you said, don't take just one approach and then wonder why it's not working. So you, number one, I say you go and you actually talk to them. This obviously is the most time consuming, but when folks are at the very beginning of starting a community, you don't want to guess what your customers are looking for. That is a, a failure tactic. You want to go out and have actual conversations, get your customers on calls, whether it's in a group setting or one-on-one, -on -one, however it works for you. And you actually ask them and you throw out some ideas of here's what I'm thinking of building. Here's what I'm thinking the strategy will be. Here's what I'm thinking the focus will be. Engage their reactions. So you're having kind of a mini cab, if you will, or customer advisory board in a sense where you're seeking out active feedback so that you're starting to build what they want. Another way is continuous ongoing uh, engagement with customers to make sure that you are continuing to build what they look for. So using tools. So for instance, within Influitive, I have a challenge that's built that says, hey, um, how do you like your experience within Jampiro's, our platform? And then tell me why. And that is a challenge that I follow and I continuously watch it. I got one of those today. So I am getting real-time feedback all the time from customers in the program. And they're telling me, I like this. I don't like this. I want this. That's another way that is more of an asynchronous. So you're asking them, they can provide as much or as little detail as they want. And then we also ask for a lot of feedback in our Slack channel and in virtual meetups. So we're using many different ways because again, we're recognizing that customers may want to engage in one form of providing their opinion over another. So you have to provide a lot of outlets for them. And um, those have proven to work really, really well for us. And then we can continue to build based on real-time feedback that's always coming in from our customers. It definitely makes a lot of sense to have these different channels and these different ways of speaking to your customers. I mean, at the end of the day, you want your customers to feel like it's a convenient thing to speak to you. You don't want to have them to go out of the way because that's just an extra level of frustration there. But I imagine with the information you're getting from the, those all those different sources, it must be incredibly, incredibly useful for building personas. Like, how do they fit into your engagement efforts? Like, are they an important part of these kinds of communities, or do you prefer just going on like a bespoke basis kind of thing? Yeah, well, you're not going to like my answer to this, and Ari may hate it. I don't know, but because <laughs> my my background is not in marketing, so I am not a persona person. 
I realize that may be an incredibly unpopular answer, but that's okay. Um, I'll take it. Um, I personally don't use personas. So I really try to only look at grouping customers in a way that I can learn about them if it's cultural. That's what I found to work really well for me and for my community because cultural grouping, I can understand that our Japanese customers may need something different than our German customers, than our French customers, right? So I look at geographies and behaviors of folks within different, different parts of the world and make sure that we are helping or kind of catering to their cultural needs. When it comes to grouping folks in titles or, or job roles, I don't do that. I really lead with the um, the mentality that it's more important for me to develop those relationships and get to know the each individual person. And part of that comes from my background in journalism. I recognize that those one-to-one -one conversations, anytime that you can learn from somebody, and some of this is even um, when you, I can just hear Ari's brain going, Jenny, Jenny, how the heck do you do that when you can't have, you know, one-to-one -one conversation all the time with all your customers? Think about when you're in a Zoom room with all your customers in a virtual meetup. I can see 50 different customers on a screen at any time, and I can get clues about who all of those people are. I can see who has a pet. I can see who likes music because they have a guitar hanging in the background. I can see who has a little kid that they're trying to get to bed, you know, sleeping in their arms. You can learn so much about your customers using a lot of different creative ways. And that tells you who those people are. And that tells you how you can build your program to help them. So those are the different approaches that I personally take versus using the traditional marketing persona. Harry, how do you feel about that? Like just undermining our entire profession there? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think that Jenny is spot on on something and, and something that we even do as humans. And so I want to touch on a couple of the psychological things that Jenny is really tapping into here. And one starts back when she said, be yourself, right? Be authentic. Because one, and don't go and look at other communities and go, this person is really successful in that community. So I'm going to emulate them, mm -hmm. right? Some of the strategies, but you can't be them. You can only be yourself. And it's not just for your customers. It's for your own sanity, right? <laughs> the double life doesn't work. You drain yourself and you're going to feel overrun. Eventually you're going to feel burnt out on trying to manage these two types of who you are. And that authenticity and that time, it 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 translates. So who are, I'm the funny guy. Jenny is the heartfelt person, right? Like embrace who you are. If you're the technical, nerdy, deep down, love the data, jump into that because people will love you for that, right? It's, it's time to be, if you're going to be running in community, it's time to be a little brave. On the other end, what Jenny's talking about with personas and where she's going with this is we, we as human beings, we tend to bucket right? For efficiency reasons. Now, forget your marketing strategy, just as an individual. If I go out and I meet new people, I'm going to bucket them so that I can remember them easily. So if I like, and, and people will do this with me, if they meet me and I just do my normal RE self, they're going to bucket me and they're going to be like, he's goofy. He's, you know, he's quick witted. He's a little bit of a jerk. Um, and he man, <laughs> right. And like, and, and that's where my bucket's going to be. And does that limit who I am in their head? Absolutely, right? Because they're thinking of me a certain way. So like when someone asks me hello, I, or how are you doing? Our normal response would be great, how are you? 
that doesn't do anything to help break, but I could do this. I could do great. But you know, we had some technical difficulties on the podcast that I was co-hosting this morning. My kids were late to school, which is fine because I got to give them some extra hugs and kisses before they got out of the door and we're getting ready for a big weekend. How are you doing? Like I just took less than 10 seconds or 15 seconds and I just broke free of my bucket with you. You're going, wow, this person is doing stuff. He's on podcasts. He loves his kids, right? And he's got something booked out for the week. Like, so little things. And so what Jenny's getting out to tie that back is she's saying you can't stereotype someone by a couple key attributes like role or title. Does that mean when Jenny looks at that screen of 50, and let's say you have 50,000 customers, you can't look at a screen of 50,000, pull that up, but you can ask digitally in your community when they enter, do you love dogs? Mm-hmm. Are you a new parent? You can ask these things. And now you can start to group by personality traits rather than attributes, right? Persona attributes. And those are, are, are incredibly helpful to understand the mindset, right? One of the things that I like to do is, are, are you a problem solver or are you a coach? Coaches tend to already feel like they've solved a lot of the problems. They know a lot and they like to help others through, through what they've learned already. Wonderful. Problem solvers are the ones who love to go out and like, they're like, give me the thing that's broken and I want to fix it. Right. And so like, you can take these different approaches. Are you a data head? Right. I don't need to ask anything about your role or title. Are you a data head? You could be in security. You could be in marketing. You could be in like there are data heads all over the place, but you have a whole different stream and, and process that you can introduce people by understanding these personality types that you can put into personas, not in the way that you might think from the old school customer marketing, but more modern day marketing and how we're approaching this. Right. So it's really a blend. I don't think what Jenny's saying at all as at odds with this, I think that it's just, we are evolving as marketers to really be more human first, not just customer first, right? Definitely, definitely. Especially now that we have more and more resources to keep track of that kind of information. Like you don't necessarily need to keep every single personality type in your community in your head. You have access to databases where you can store that information now. So it doesn't need to be, yeah, go on, Ari, go on. You can ask that at scale. You don't have to ask one by one these things. I don't have to go on a Zoom call. Jenny is com- is incredibly generous with her time, right? And that's why everybody loves her. We can't all be Jennies as much as we want to be, right? Okay. I want to be Jenny. Every day I wake up, I'm like, how do I put my Jenny hat on, <laughs> right? And, and it's true. I love what she does. And I also realize I can't do what Jenny does. I don't know how she does it. She is insane. She is unbelievable. She is amazing in so many ways. And so like she, but she also, and I don't want to sell her short. She also scales what she does. So don't let her (laughs) deceive you there. She is very good at scaling her programs. What she does is she starts out in person. She tests what works and then she scales from there. It sounds great in principle, having this kind of almost one-to-one connection with your customers. But obviously that customer is going to change over time. So that information that you might get from the input when you ask them sort of like a questionnaire to get that information, that's going to change. So how do you keep track of how your customers change? And how do you make sure that your ways of engaging them is evolving along with their changes? I mean, number one is I'd say you're present. So I don't ever love to hear as people 
enter new roles or even maybe climb a leadership ladder. And I think, Ari, you're, you're a really good example of this, of, oh, well, you're no longer in with your customers. And I've heard that. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you can't know what your customers need. You can't continuously build for them if you're not communicating with your customers and you're actually paying attention. So that I think is, is an area where a lot of leaders get it wrong, where it's, oh, okay, now I have a team of three, four, five, ten 10 people below me. I don't need to pay as much attention. I believe that everybody, if you're in this role, you need to pay attention because people are going to pick up on different things too. So if we're in the same room, say I'm in a virtual meetup and it's me and it's three of my team members, we come out of that and you have a sync. How did it go? What did you guys learn? One person's going to say, oh, that person seemed to be having a really hard time because of their whatever facial expressions or or engagement in the meeting, somebody else could be like, oh, you know, I think that we need to get a speaker in to talk on this particular topic because there seem to be a lot of questions in the chat, right? So Everybody needs to have involvement in a different way and you need to consistently be present and you need to consistently listen because like Ari and like you said, well, their needs, their wants, their just human nature changes drastically over time. And if you're not close enough to your customers, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. And then that ship will start to sink. So I think that is one of the the biggest things that again goes back to just being a good human and actually caring. You show them that you care by showing up. And when you show up, you pay attention, you listen, and then you change as needed. Um, because like we've all talked about, like our, our product as people needs to continuously evolve all the time. And we can't do that if we're not aware of what the people are feeling and what their needs are. Definitely. Ari, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, and, and and I would always say use the tools at your disposal that you can. And if you get budget, use tools to help you scale that, right? Because we you we we drink our own Kool-Aid, right? We use our own software. And so I can speak to this directly because I went from building everything from scratch for years and years and years to then getting some tools to then getting actual tools and seeing what the difference was along that way. And now, right, I work for the company that is the tool. Right, because I was such an advocate of that throughout the way, because I saw it how it changed my life and helped me evolve and grow into the, the the person I am today. Right, and so, you know, always think of things of it when Jenny talks about this and she says, "I, I do this or we do this." Also, think that it's not just about you supporting the customer; it's you're a bridge builder, right? So, in relationships at scale, how do you help others build their relationships with each other and a key component if you're a customer marketer the people you want to be like best friends with in this world are your customer success managers and account managers right they are they're in close with the accounts they're in close with the with the teams and you can have one of two worlds that you live in one where your customer success managers are so extremely protective of their accounts they don't let you in and you're, you're begging and trying to poke your way in from different ways. And everything is met with resistance and high energy and high effort, which is extremely not just stressful for you, but for the CSM because their guards are always having to be up. And the other world is you two are best friends who have each other's backs. It's like you're on a team together and when other, one gets injured, the other one can step up. 
right? And or you're throwing, you're assisting each other on the back, whatever analogy you want to use here. And of course, you want to be in that latter group. And so how do you do that? Make the CSM a superstar in the customer's eyes. Really help them build. And I'll give you an explicit example of how you can do this at scale. So one of the things we do in our surprise and delight campaigns, anytime someone has a promotion, the CSM goes into our tool and they, they, they log in. Who's the person? Here's the promotion that they're about to get. Here's what we're asking. Here's a little thank you. And they can record themselves saying, I am so proud of you. Working with you for these last you know, two years have been absolutely phenomenal and nobody deserves this more. That triggers then our customer mar marketing team gets that, right? Then it sends a trigger out from them. They promote, which comes to me as the, the leader of the group who then reaches out with a video to that person's boss in secret, right? I have a video that goes out and says, hey, we heard that they're getting this promotion. This is absolutely wonderful news. We want to know, do you want to record a surprise message for them congratulating them? Now, this person is going to get all automated through these prompts. They're going to get back. And you want to talk about building relationship from their CSM, not from the customer marketing team. They're going to, we just automated that for them, right? And we help deliver. They're going to get this package. It's like, Here's this little present that we're sending to you, known from all of your personas and personality things that you selected that you like. Here's this surprise message from your CSM and from your boss, all telling you how amazing. Do you think that that relationship is going to be stronger because of that action, right? We call that surprise and delight because those are the kind of magic moments you can't take back. And mm -hmm. I couldn't do all of that if it was just one-to-one, -one like all the time, because you just run out of bandwidth. Right. So, but I can do, oh, I get a little message that says, hey, here's this person's name. Here's the title. Here's the person ask. And then I just do my prompt. Hey, you know, Jenny Asaba, I, I want you to know I, I heard that um, Will here is getting a promotion. It's absolutely phenomenal. We want to surprise him. This is top secret. Don't say anything. Just took me 30 seconds. That's all I had to do. Boom. I hit send. That goes back into the automation. Right. So it's like, Use the tools that are at your disposal. Because if I was trying to like hand create that every time and create a draft, create a script and go back and forth, we just don't have time in the day, right? So I, I, I think, you know, I will constantly go back to how do you do this? And, right, what does that and look like for you? Yeah, Ari, really interesting stuff about those customer relationships. I imagine that's incredibly important to community. Jenny, um, do you have more to expand on that? Yeah, customer relationships are one of my favorite things to focus on because as Ari said, I can talk about me or my team or even what my other colleagues can do and how we can support community. But what the heartbeat of any community is the customers connecting with each other. So I'm constantly looking at how do I make sure that they're not only there for each other in a professional setting. So a lot of our community members are IT admins. So how are they there to support each other and answer each other's IT questions, but also how are they there as humans and developing real friendships? So an example of this is just today, it's Friday. Everybody is like, glad it's the end of the week. We also are coming up on the end of the school year and knowing that a lot of my customers work at schools in the districts, I just put out a question, hey, are people excited or anxious at being the end of the school year? 
I stepped away for a matter of a few minutes. I come back and there are like 20 Slack messages where customers are talking about what their feelings are on this topic. And I found out that there are several customers who had the same anxiety I do about our oldest or youngest child going into middle school. And then it was a whole conversation of what does middle school mean in your district? Is it grades five through eight? Is it seven through eight? And they're connecting then as humans and as parents instead of as IT admins. And that is always the end goal for me is that when these folks come into the room, a physical room for the first time, they've never met each other before, only on Zoom calls, only in the community, what have you, that they walk in and they see friends. And that is that is my ultimate goal because then why would they ever want to leave my community? Why would they ever want to leave my organization? They've developed real genuine friendships where people care about them as a human. And I think that is something that we continuously need to focus on as we build out community. Definitely. Um, but just as maybe as a bit of a, a counterpoint, devil's advocate kind of thing, the people who are building those relationships are only going to be the people who are active in those communities, the people who are actually engaged already. Circling back to what you mentioned earlier, Jenny, about different personality types, the extrovert and the introverts, there's introverts in communities as well. So how do you get those kinds of people engaged, those people who just want to be observers in the community, who aren't engaging with stuff, who aren't presenting ideas, who aren't getting involved in conversations? Oh, I love this question because I think that we oversee one of the more obvious kind of sub questions to this is why do they need to actively engage? I mean, if we go back to our core fundamentals of what community is, which is to help our customers be more successful in their roles, how do I know that that customer who is attending my meetup or who is more passively consuming content that I put into my program that they're not becoming more successful. I think we're assuming that they're not because we don't see that active engagement. We don't see them replying to posts. We don't see them unmuting and chiming in. But I think that that's where we are failing a little bit, that we're saying those folks who have a different level of engagement aren't getting as much from our programs. Um, and I, I don't believe that to be true. And I was thinking about this uh, a little bit yesterday, and I want to create the parallel of a classroom. So if we think of just a classroom, pick your average grade fifth graders, we can go with that. And you have kids sitting in the room who are silent, right? Those are the more introverted kids. And then you have the kids who are raising their hand for every single question. Ari, was that you? Did you always raise your hand? Yeah, I bet. So... <laughs> I feel like I was a mixture, but I talked a lot uh, in class. I had to go in the hallway for some reasons. Shocker, I know. <laughs> but those kids who are sitting there quietly, are we going to say, oh, they're not learning? Right? We're not going to say that. Nobody's going to be like, oh, those kids who are who are quiet, who aren't raising their hands, they're not learning. They're learning in a different way, and they're engaging in that environment in a different way. And that's a mixture of our community members, which I think creates a healthy environment. Do I want 50 people on a Zoom call who all want to talk at the same time? No, I don't. And I engage with them knowing that some folks don't have that uh, that that want or that need to be present in that way. I'll message them a Slack throughout the entire meetup. I, I look at all the names and I say, thank you for coming. I'm really glad that you're here. And the folks who reply back a lot with the most detail are the ones who are not chiming in. And they're just saying, thank you for setting these up. I absolutely love coming. I learned so much by listening to others in the room. 
So let's not discount the silent voices or who we think are a little less engaged because I would advocate for them saying that they are learning just as much. It's just in a different way. It's an interesting perspective because I know there are quite a lot of community managers out there who have KPIs involving engaged members, having a certain percentage of members engaged. How do you measure the success of those people within the community? How do you measure their value to the community even as a way of putting it if they're not engaging with things like how do you keep track of those kinds of stuff because obviously we've got to measure stuff we're in business at the end of the day so yeah how do you go about it Jenny? Yeah it's a it's a good question and it's a tricky question um I mean with tools like Ari said I can see if that silent person is logging into my community if they're doing if they're doing stuff say they're not commenting on something but they're consuming information right? I can see if they're showing up to a meetup. Maybe they're not saying anything, but they're showing up. I can see if they're sharing a like on a on a um, Slack message, right? There are different ways that you can pay attention. And again, this goes back to what I said before about being present. So yeah, it's harder sometimes to do that and to pay attention and say like they're providing value. But if you're present and you're really in tune with your community and your community members, I think you can speak to it. So if somebody comes to me and they say, well, XYZ community member, are they engaging? I say, well, what do you mean by what do you mean by engaging? Are they do are they sharing out social media content? Some people just don't want to do that. That's not their style. So it's a lot of different methods. And I think it goes back to also of your leadership and what value they want to see from your community, because different leaders will ask for different different measurements of engagement. And um, one example that I've shared before that I think is really powerful is when it comes to value, right? How do you deliver on value? I once had the CEO come to me and say, hey, I need video testimonials about this new product or feature and I need it by you know this time tomorrow, of course. <laughs> and I'm like, great. So I put that ask out into the community and I had more than 20 videos within 24 hours that the CEO then was able to share to the entire company. So is that a measure of success for a community? I would say, yeah, if, a, if your CEO needs something and you can get it in a short period of time, that's a big success. So it looks different for every leadership um, and the goals of the company, but you know, I would challenge people to look at the human aspects too. Just, just so we don't lose that, you got to throw an asterisk on what Jenny just said, which is do not forget to capture that moment. Right. Yes. Those things, because they're not going into your big KPIs, right? They're not going into your weekly metric report. But you want to show that. And, and if you do weekly syncs, if you do anything, monthly syncs, what that is, have that slide. Have that slide geared up. They asked 20 responses in less than 20 hours. That's a response in an hour that we had to be able to share. That's how in love our customers are with us. They're ready, right, to, to, to lay down or jump or do to work in tandem with us. Um, I do want to say to... to the, the quiet children in the room, right? Um, I will say a yes and to what Jenny said, which is, yeah, you, you would never say that the kid just because they're quiet isn't learning, but does that mean that they don't have to do their math, right? Does that mean that they don't have to engage in the ways that teach them? They still have to do certain things to, to grow. 
And that doesn't, just because they're quiet, doesn't mean the teacher is going to let them sit out of learning their presentation skills. There are certain skill sets. And so one of the things that I learned early in my career doing this, especially because I am such an extra extrovert, right? That I actually have a hard time at first when intra introverts, not introverted extroverts or extroverted introvert, but the, the true introverts, they, I am scary to them. I am overwhelming to them, right? And, and I had to learn how to approach that. Because I don't want to scare anyone away. You know, my my intent is all good. And I realized like I'm a lot. I am a lot. And I am fully aware that I am a lot, right? And so I dealt with, lucky for me, the first cohort in my career were technical document writers, okay? Now, these generally, and I am completely generalizing here, but I would say over 70% of technical document writers are introverted, Right? When I was dealing with them and going through the masses, introverted. And a lot of them, this is honestly how they viewed their job. They showed up to collect a check and go home. They had a quota of how many documents they had to write. They didn't have to use too much of a creative brain that was just like, I'm going to take what these product writers and write it into some common language and I have to get them done and I'm going to go do the stuff that I love to do in my life, right? And I get that. So it was really hard for me because I was trying to get them so I was trying to shine a spotlight on them. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't want a spotlight on me. I want to keep my head down. In fact, in my job, working at this major corporation, right, of 100,000 employees, if you stick your head up, you get plucked off. I am not causing any ripples and any waves. In fact, they didn't even want new metrics to measure themselves, right, of their success, because now they have a benchmark they have to reach. They're like, no, no, I get a budget. I got a quota. I got, I'm good. I just keep my head down. And, and the thing is, is we know, especially now with chat GPT here, those days are gone. You're going to be, you're going to be value engineered out of the equation. All of us, we wish we could just do our work and that would be enough to get us promoted. The reality is it's a lot more than that. And so I feel when I say that customer marketers and CMA customer marketers and advocacy and community professionals, we're the B2B sports agent of, of this world. It's because our job is to help coach you in some ways to be more engaged or to learn where that still fits your style of communication. The one thing that is true that I have learned that resonates across whether you show up or you don't, right? Whether you want to build your name up or you don't, at the end of the day, we do all want to feel valued. We want to feel like what we're doing is valuable, right? Otherwise, we're like pulling our hair out and hey, I can't solve that problem for you. That's a bigger one. And you got to do a career change, right? Because you shouldn't be living like that. And I get that too. But that's not what we're solving for here. We're solving for the people who, you know, I, I, I do want to continue, right, in this world. And it might evolve. My job might evolve. And what I do might evolve. But I like the general angle. Well, let's help you with that then. And so I had to learn very early on, how do you show people the value of shining a light on their work, not themselves? And how do you change that perspective for them so that it removes the fear factor and the blockers, right? Because we're instantly going to put up walls for things that are uncomfortable, right? And that's where I fall on the lobster. And I swear one day on one of these podcasts, I will do the lobster quote in the rabbi's voice and everything because it's the best. But you, you learn ways. And I'll give you an example is Jenny said, they show up to the meeting. 
That's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. Well, if they've shown up to four of, let's say, these round customer roundtables, on the fifth one, ask them to be the scribe. They're going to take the notes from that, right? Now they've, they've been the scribe on three. We're going to ask them to facilitate the Q&A. They don't have to talk. They just ask the questions at the end. So now what you're doing is you're helping lead them on this course that is allowing them to feel more comfortable in their own skin and their way and their approach. And, and then you refine, right? Some people are not great in person or on camera or on a podcast, but they can write a phenomenal blog. Find out what's great, what they love to do and tap into that. And you don't have to do that just one-to-one. -one. You can do that in a one-to-many approach, right? By allowing them to self-select their journeys, right? They can orchestrate their own journeys. And you can see who they're going to start to communicate with, where they tend to group. And that's all in your VOC, your listening. Jenny keeps bringing up listening. Listening is so key here, right? And, and I will tell you, 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 you will run out of ears if you try and just <laughs> You need to have the ability to listen at scale, right? And to be able to segment and target based off of activities and actions. So- Sorry, that was my rant because that one's a big one to me because that was literally, it taught me early in my career, right? We all want to feel valued. So how do you shine a light on the value instead of the person? Because that will help them. And then some people you want to shine a light on the person because that's exactly what they want, right? Definitely. I mean, it was, it was a good rant, Ari. Good rant, definitely. <laughs> um, speaking of what you're talking about, people being different in person and in virtual, that kind of thing. Is it the... Is it the case, forgive me if I'm coming here from a position of uh, ignorance, that we're just going to have different types of customers to engage with between virtual and in-person in environments? Or is it more about finding different ways to engage the same customer across those different environments? Like, what is the kind of differences between engaging people in person and in virtual? Yeah, I think you hit on something important, and that's providing the options. So recognizing that our customers want different things from us as community managers, from our organizations, you need to provide options. And some people will want to engage in person. Some people won't. Some people will act incredibly different in person, right? If we think about our environments and um, how people engage in different scenarios, Ari is not going to engage in the place of worship. I don't know if you attend, doesn't matter. The same as you would at the grocery store, right? You're, you're going to have a different personality, a different persona. You're going to act a little different. So that's creating opportunities, I think, too, for our customers to just be more of themselves when you're in person if you've done your work in a virtual environment. So going back to what I said about like creating the room where my customers can all walk in and they're and they see their friends, right? They they would be able to have that experience because we focused on relationship building in a virtual experience where it is much harder to do. But that doesn't mean it's impossible either. So again, going back to like the variety of things that you do. I am a firm believer in not always just talk, talking shop when it comes to customer connections. So as I've already shared, you know, Slack conversations, I post pictures of like cookies that I made over the weekend and we have whole conversations about is a cheesecake, a cake or a pie, right? That's a thing. And we engage in that respect. And then when we come in person, they feel that much more connected to you because they've already 
had some background information of who is Jenny. Oh, she's, she's tired because she has three boys at home who exhaust her. Right. She really appreciates a scone or a chocolate chip cookie. Like these little things that seem so trivial can really make people feel much more connected when they, when they are actually in person, you're not walking to, into a room full of strangers, which Ari may be totally comfortable with being an extra extrovert, that's where I get personally more introverted is I don't know anybody here and I start to get anxious about it. But if I know that Will loves a certain type of dog and I have that dog, I can immediately start up a conversation about that if I know nothing else about you. So how do we create those environments for those relationships to blossom? It's incredibly important. And that's one of the main jobs I think that any community manager should focus on. I mean, Jenny, I'm going to spoil it now. I am a cat person, but anyway. Um, so Je I, I was going to ask you, Jenny, like interesting different ways of spur spurring engagement, but it seems like you've kind of sprinkled that through this entire conversation. But if, if you have any other examples of those kinds of ways of building that sort of personal connection to spur that engagement, I'd love to hear about them. Yeah, so I've always thought about, again, like what are the pers personalities? How are people going to want to engage? We've set up, um, virtual mapping sessions where there's, you can go and you can all just sit in a zoom room together and you're virtually creating maps for third world countries, where if a landslide happens that they now have a map and they know where they can go and try to rescue people. So it's, that really relates to the humanitarians in the room and the people who really care about crisis, right? We've done that before. I have brought in a virtual jokes and juggling. So anybody who likes comedy or juggling, follow Marcus Monroe because he's amazing. We've done that. We didn't talk anything about work, but we had, I don't know, 60 customers on that call where for an hour we were watching this guy in his New York City apartment juggling knives. That brings people together in a whole different type of environment, right? And we still reference that jokes and juggling session that we had like two years ago. Um, we had one, well, I should say I had one experience in the early in the pandemic where I had been listening to customers and everybody just seemed stressed and freaking out about the world because the world was ending. So I came and, Ari, you've heard this before, but I came and I sat down with my laptop actually right behind me. I opened it up. And I sang Lean On Me because it's one of my favorite songs and I think it's empowering and people love it. And I sang that and I put that video out to my customers and I just shared like, we're all going through a lot of stuff. Hopefully this does something for you today. And I got back so many just heartwarming messages of thank you for being human and thank you for giving me something to smile about. So how do we use, like Ari said before, not who somebody else is and what they're doing to be successful, but how do you dig into who you are and you pull that out and you create these experiences where people can engage to the things that relate to them and they can see, oh, she's willing to be really herself to me first so I can give that back. And it starts breaking down those barriers and those walls of just like nervousness and then relationships start to form. And I imagine sort of like the relationship building that you've done already makes it a lot, I don't want to say easier, but a lot more efficient to kind of get over those kinds of obstacles that life might throw in the, the path of the community, like talking about like the pandemic and stuff like that. Um, like if you think about an example of someone who did a similar thing, quite high profile, Gal Gadot singing Imagine on Twitter, didn't go down well at all because she wasn't relatable to the people 
that she was singing to. Whereas you've built this relationship with the customers prior. They know you, they know your sense of humor, they know like your life and your like how you, yeah, basically the what you enjoy. And then putting yourself out there, putting yourself out there in a quite a personal way would only really make sense if you have that relationship with the customers already. So you've got to build that kind of groundwork before you can start doing that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing too that shouldn't be daunting to folks because again, like at scale, it's super easy of, I use Influitive to put out a challenge where I say, here's a picture of myself. Here's some fun facts about me. Do you have one question for me? It can be about anything. And I watch that challenge and every week I reply. And I, I posted something on LinkedIn recently where somebody said, I'm shocked that you replied to my or to my question. Like they thought that it was out there in the abyss. Jenny's never actually going to see it. Heck, she would never respond. And I did. And I think they asked me, what's your favorite country in Africa to actually travel to? Because they said, I love traveling to Africa. And then we had a dialogue about safaris and where to go on a safari and if you should travel with people, right? Like that's how you start relationships. And I can do that asynchronously to every single person who comes into my community, they see that they get to learn and they get to decide if they want to engage. Some people say, I don't have a question at this time, but thank you. That's perfectly fine too. They know that that door is open. So you can start these relationship building activities in a very simple, very scalable way. And then the rest kind of follows over time. Excellent. Excellent. Ari, do you have anything to add to that in terms of putting yourself out there to really get with the get, build those relationships. Yeah, you know, at, at the end of the day, we are we are doing one thing. We are bettering human beings. We are helping them better themselves actually, right? We I always say we don't make champions, but we find them and we help shine a light on them and we help them grow. And and we are at a business, right? We're not just going out to make friends. We're at a business. So there there's what does that mean? And how do you make this a mutually beneficial relationship where everybody wins? You win as the customer marketer or community manager or advocacy professional. Your company wins by having a more uh, engaged customer, right? An advocate. And the advocate, the champion wins because they are growing into their subject matter expertise. And so you have this maturity model that you create. They start out like, think about it. They start out, they're a student, right? And then you put them in college. And then after college, they've got an internship and then they get their first job and then a promotion. And by the end, you want them, right? To be running their own business. Now, some people go, you know what? I love internships. That's great. And so, you know, I want, I want 80% of my, my high school kids to graduate and go to college. Of that percent, I want 50% to get an internship. Of that, I want 40% to get a job. Of that, I want 20% to get a raise. And of that, I want 10%, right? To not just get the raise, but to become a business leader. And so now you know, I'm going to have 10% of my cohort are going to be these elite stars, right? That are out there. I'm going to have another that are doing great and are going to be willing to share and show on this whole other level. So you have those people that you're going to fly around for keynotes at like Dreamforce and around the world. They're going to fly film crews out and production crews out. Those are your lighthouse customers. And so you have this maturity model where that is helping for what the customer gets out of it. But guess what? They're getting out of that, right? But not everyone wants to all the way be at that elite level. And so what you've done is you've created a journey. You've orchestrated a journey that allows everyone to find their group. And sometimes you surprise people. And that's my favorite part. Where people are like, I 
never thought this would be what I'd be doing. And I am so happy that like, those are the wins that we get. It's not just the friendships. Like when I see people, people get raises and they come back to me and they're like, I, I, I couldn't have done this without all of the limelight that you've helped me show. Right. It's like, what is, what is cooler? What is better than that? What feels more rewarding, right? Then you're helping people's lives grow. I know we're way over time, by the way. So, <laughs> well, I think I think we are ready to to wrap things up, Barry. Um, yeah, I think we've we've covered such an awesome amount of stuff here. So, thank you very much for joining us today, Jenny, and thank you for your time as well, Ari. Let's uh let's wrap things up with one final thing. Let's uh, I know we've covered so much, but what is the one thing that people often forget about these kind of community relationships? These kind of community engagement that they need to keep in mind when it comes to communities jenny what what do you think is the most often forgotten thing that people need to remember oh one thing that's rough um have fun <laughs> i think you know if, you, if you're passionate about what you do everything else is going to be successful so you need to find your groove you need to find what makes it really fun for you and then everybody else is going to see that they're going to want to be a part of it people are attracted to passion right they're attracted to excitement and as community managers that's what we should lead with and then we create better environments for our teams for our company for our customer base overall um, so i think it's just it's to have fun and live with your passion and then success will follow I mean, that's that's great advice, not just in terms of building a community, but for life in general. So thank you very much for that, Jenny. Um, and thank you again, Ari, and thank you to our listeners as well. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Um, I'm sure Eve will be back for the next episode. I look forward to having her back in the room for these conversations. But I've enjoyed my time here on Customer Marketing Catch-Up. I hope you've appreciated me joining you for a little bit. Um, I'm sure we'll be back soon with some more episodes. You've got some serious challengers coming in here. I'm not going to lie. It was great working with you. And, and you know, I, I want to end on this positive note that Jenny just shared, which is that passion isn't always shown in strength. That passion can be shown in vulnerability too. Mm -hmm. And when I say being vulnerable, we all struggle with things. Be vulnerable about that. That does not mean be negative. Don't go down the vicious negative funnel because that just feeds on itself. Being vulnerable is not the same thing as being negative and trying to find other people who will be negative with you and all commiserating that negativity. It is being vulnerable about what your fears, your anxieties are, and looking for how to positively influence those in a beneficial way. And so when, you're, when you are vulnerable like that, all people will start to drop their walls around you as well. And then you can really start to work to build each other up. And if anything, you can meet with the gratitude guru who Jenny has introduced into my life and into her customers' lives. And, you know, it helps make you a better human at the end of the day, because that's, that's what this is all about. Definitely. Great note to end on there, Ari. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to the audience again. We'll be back soon.